Hi there, friends, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Amelie Andreas, and today we'll be joined by psychology major Mada Fule to discuss how appropriate is appropriate, and what does this mean for our disabled classmates and friends in a higher ed context? Please note that this episode contains discussion of topics surrounding mental health. Hi, my name is Madhav Pule. I am a psychology major. My thesis was how appropriate is appropriate views of students, faculty, and staff on disability accommodations based on type of disability. Wow. Okay. So we've got definitely very based in um, like the Reed campus and life on Reed. Um, but you're asking a question that might be a little bit like controversial for some people. There might be some different opinions going around. How did you like manage kind of a little bit of a topic that might be might be sensitive for some people or might be something that they're more happy to keep private? Well, um, the fact that I had to do all of this online because the pandemic certainly helped. Like I wasn't going face to face to people and sort of asking them to lay out their biases uh, in front of me. Um, but the interesting thing about doing um, research into into bias, um, mm-hmm. and my advisor, Glenn Baker, talked about this too. Um, if you can guarantee that people's responses on a particular survey are going to be anonymous, they're willing to bear their soul in a lot of ways. Oh, wow. some, of, some of what you see <laughs> isn't going to be great, but it's good if you're doing a project on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't necessarily controversial in terms of some of the horror stories that Glenn told me about getting like drunk calls at 3 a.m. Oh no. Like participants in his surveys. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the people that I approached, especially faculty and staff, were super excited that I was doing a project mm-hmm. like this and were like really eager to help. Um, so yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a good sign about the like campus climate here at Reed is that you have people willing to yeah. like, talk about this kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and engage and try and like push it forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just to add on to that, it wasn't just at Reed. I emailed, um, Reed's part of a consortium called the Northwest Five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I emailed the other colleges in that consortium, uh, as well as putting my survey out onto um, a couple of like list serves that accessed by uh, people working in, in higher education all over the country. So it, it, uh, it wasn't just like folks at Reed who were, who were taking this. Um, I don't know how many were mm-hmm. folks at Reed and how many weren't, because like I said, yeah. the service anonymous that includes location data. Good to know, good um, to know. But uh, yeah. That's actually really cool though. I've always kind of wondered how, um, you know, it affects the results of all of these, you know, psychology surveys that I get in misconnections or something to have like such a specific community as Reed. So I'm, it's, it's good to know that you guys are branching out a little bit. I think that's um, good for the, the general state of the department. Yeah. Although I will say that Jennifer Corpus, uh, another psych prof- professor, mm-hmm. made this like, brought up this exact topic. I'm like all my students always worry that Reed is <laughs> going to be like an outlier. Reed is particularly <laughs> weird. Like statistically, no. Okay, statistically, okay. Oh, no, no. no. I thought um, we were special. <laughs> All of my ego has been dashed, <laughs> but um, from a statistical perspective, I'm happy for you guys. So another kind of key word, I'm, I'm assuming it's a key word because it's occurring twice in the thesis title, 
is appropriate. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about what the word appropriate means in the context of your thesis. So basically, um, the, the survey that I asked people to do consisted of um, them reading what was essentially a fictionalized description of um, a fake student with certain symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, it would be like X has ADHD. It causes them to have trouble focusing and issues with memory, things like that. Um, and then there would be eight accommodations listed. Um, and on a scale of one to seven, one being least appropriate and seven being most appropriate, you would have to rate um, how appropriate you believed the accommodation to, uh, sorry, how appropriate you believe the accommodation was for addressing that student's mm -hmm. needs in, in terms of the difficulties caused by their symptoms. Some of them were kind of self-explanatory. Like, for example, in the example that I gave with the person with ADHD, you wouldn't necessarily rate um, having a classroom be uh, on the ground floor to be accessible by wheelchair mm -hmm. is particularly appropriate because there's nothing in that description that says that they're also in a wheelchair, yeah. uh, whereas the services of a note taker might be rated particularly high. Mm. Um, so, but the the other point there is that um, while colleges and universities are legally required to provide these accommodations. Um, there, people view different types of disabilities in different ways. Um, and so what might seem as the appropriate or empathetic thing to do in terms of accommodations um, might not necessarily be what everyone agrees on. Mm. Um, some disabilities are more stigmatized than others. Um, and so some disabilities get lower ratings on appropriateness because of that stigma rather than because those accommodations are inappropriate in and of themselves, if that makes sense. Mm. So in this case, appropriate is kind of a like inter really interesting word in this context, because on one hand, there are these things that are pretty black and white, like someone obviously, like you said, who um, doesn't have a physical disability probably wouldn't need accommodations that would be related to physical disabilities. But then on the other hand, there's this kind of more subjective quality, which is maybe where that bias you were talking about before might come in. It almost sounds like you're talking a little bit about people trying to decide like whether or not someone is deserving of an accommodation, which is like, of course, a ridiculous thing to ask because everyone deserves to, you know, be taken care of and mm -hmm. be given like the best shot. Right. Yeah, and that's... That, that's a huge part of what I wanted to explore um, was because my research um, and my own personal experience had shown me that um, not everybody considers all disabilities to be mm -hmm. quote unquote legitimate. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a lot of like bias and stigma that especially psychiatric disabilities have uh, against them. Um, but also learning disabilities. There were there were four mm -hmm. categories that I looked at. I looked at visible physical disabilities, so disabilities that were quote unquote obvious. Um, so if they use a wheelchair, they use mm -hmm. a cane, a walker, something like that. Um, invisible physical disabilities, so it's not obvious. Um, this would be most mm -hmm. types of chronic pain, stuff like that. Um, psychiatric disabilities and learning disabilities. Um, 
a lot of the literature I read um, suggested that uh, there was what was called this hierarchy of stigma, um, where physical disabilities were viewed as the, the most legitimate um, and psychiatric and learning disabilities were the most heavily stigmatized, mm-hmm. um, either because people think that they're not truly disabling or sometimes people have, uh, they think that learning di- learning disorders especially are like overdiagnosed um, or that mental illness is not like a suitable like reason for getting accommodations and whatnot. Um, I was wondering now if you could kind of give us a little bit of background about what made you interested into looking deeper with this, like any experiences you had or maybe classes you took as a psychology major. Um, I mean, I'm interested in, in this topic because first and foremost, it's deeply personal to me. I am disabled. I um, have depression. I have ADHD. Um, I have PTSD. It's accommodations are the reason why I was able to graduate in the first place. Um, and a lar- I didn't start out as a psychology major. I started out as a biology major. And oh, really? The, yeah. I had something of a nervous breakdown at the end of my sophomore year uh, trying to get through uh, organic chemistry, among other things. Um, mm. And switching majors really made me realize how different the departmental attitudes were towards disabled students and accommodation. Um, in, in bio and chemistry, the attitudes ranged from well-meaning but slightly incompetent to actively malicious and several instances of behavior that I'm pretty sure was 100% illegal. Um, oh my gosh. But I mean, in the psych department, it was bad. I'm not saying that folks in the psych department don't have issues with their professors. I'm mm-hmm. not, for me, my own experience, it was better. Yeah. Um, and because it was, because a lot of it had to do with me struggling against the system, struggling against professors, um, that's one of the things I wanted to explain my thesis. Like, my thesis is based on, a, it's essentially a replication of a paper I read the summer before I started my senior year, mm-hmm. um, where uh, the researchers had done that paper. They did the exact, almost the exact same thing I did. They took a bunch of students. They gave them this survey of like with hypothetical students with various hypothetical disabilities. Mm-hmm. They're like, how appropriate is blah, blah. And they collected those results. Um, and I thought their results were really interesting. But they, their pool, their participant pool was comprised of, of students. Um, it did not include faculty and staff. Um, mm-hmm. And... If your peers think that your disabilities are illegitimate, that's one thing. Uh, if people in positions of power over you think that your dis- disabilities mm-hmm. are illegitimate or they and or they refuse, yeah, if they refuse to give you your accommodations, it's a different thing entirely. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Um, and so what I wanted to see is do the attitudes of students mirror that of, of the attitudes of faculty and staff? Um, does that pattern of bias replicate itself? Yeah, I mean, a, a huge part of the reason why I was interested in this is because of my own personal experience um, and because of the experiences of many of my friends uh, at Reed who reported similar issues and, you know, folks I knew attending uh, other universities at the, in the U.S. And, and across the world who had faced similar struggles. Um, I did not, when I was in high school, because I, I grew up outside the U.S. and I didn't 
I didn't go to a U.S. high school. Um, so I didn't, I, I wasn't really sort of exposed to this, the institutional um, allowances for disabilities that other folks in the U.S. are, um, in individual education plans and for ADHD and that sort of thing. Um, so when I first got to read and when I first heard about this kind of stuff, I was floored because uh, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And very quickly I began to realize that it, this legal framework that had been created to accommodate people wasn't really enough. Like mm -hmm. in much the same way that, you know, the passage of the Civil Rights Act didn't magically eliminate racism. Yeah. The passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act did not magically eliminate ableism from society. Um, and what people often tend to forget is that the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990, which is not very long time oh, ago. Yeah. Um, and as recently as 2008 or 10, um, and double check that there was an amendments act passed to it because the first act wasn't mm. enough i think what what spurred me to keep doing it even besides my 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 own personal experiences and um the the realities of the pandemic was that again as i mentioned before every, almost everyone i talked to was like yeah this project needs to be done yeah yeah something is not happening that needs to be happening yeah so how did kind of your day-to-day -day process look when you were working on your thesis like was it mostly preparing to send out the survey or mostly analyzing the results of the survey afterwards? Um, I'm going to be honest, uh, because of my ADHD and the peculiar way that the pandemic impacted me, um, a lot of my day-to-day -day was like either procrastination or panic. Um, but uh, I will say that by far the thing that consumed the most time was just getting my survey out there and getting people to take it mm -hmm. um, and sending emails because knocking on doors is frowned upon when there's a plague raging um, <laughs> and you know making sure that the right people uh, heard me and you know mm -hmm. getting getting the legal and and ethical approvals that I needed to to conduct uh, that this, these kinds of surveys. Um, that took up a significant portion of my time. Um, mm. uh, and it was also kind of, it was one of the most frustrating bits because, you know, I spent so much time working on the survey and like crafting it and, and, mm -hmm. and all that. And you think and, the hard part is over and then all of a yeah, sudden. But it's just begun. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, um, I mean, I have to pause here. You know, shout out to my thesis advisor, Glenn Baker, for like being super understanding throughout the whole process and just a really cool guy. But it was very realistic about mm -hmm. like you think the hard parts now like just wait till they get to the next bit. Uh, so what ended up being the outcome of the project? Um, of course, you know to the extent that it can be kind of summarized in a couple of sentences. Uh, I mean, the short answer is that yeah, um, students and faculty and staff are shared that same pattern of bias that was found in the original paper. Um, mm. students with psychiatric disabilities are, they had received the lowest appropriateness ratings so their disabilities were least likely to be viewed as, as legitimate or deserving, um, of, of, um, of accommodation. And this was, again, this was a pattern shared regardless of, of, uh, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of occupation. Wow, um, really? brings everybody together in a rather unfortunate way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, I like to say that the, the depressing thing about doing um, 
about doing bias research is that when you get statistically significant results, it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the interesting thing, one of the interesting things was, uh, on the advice of my of my thesis advisor, um, I included a question at the end of each scenario, which was, to what extent did you feel empathy for this person? Um, this hypothetical student. Mm-hmm. Uh, same scale of one to seven, one being not at all, seven being very much. Um, I think one of the most interesting results that I found was that even though people tended to have a relatively high level of empathy for uh, students with psychiatric disabilities, at least relative to um, relative to those with learning disabilities, the empathy for physical disabilities was still higher. But even though there was that relatively high level of empathy, it didn't necessarily translate into them thinking that accommodations were like appropriate for them. Oh, um, that's weird. It is. It is. Um, and I don't really have a good answer as to why that's the case other than empathizing with experience doesn't necessarily mean that you're able to fully put yourself in the shoes of mm-hmm. another person and understand why they might want these things. Um, and I mean, in a nutshell, institutional labelism is alive and well, which a lot of people could have told me, but yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to do the research to convince other people that it's an actual problem that needs to be solved. So at the end of the day, um, how do you think that your thesis experience is going to kind of inform your life after read? I heard some some pretty cool things about your plans in, and actually like not too long, right? Like in a week or so, you're going to be leaving the country, right? I am. Yeah, I'm pursuing a master's degree at King's College in London. Um, and I mean, this field, like disability, especially um, psychiatric disability, is something that um, that I like. I feel that I want to work in and and contribute to going forward. Um, a lot of the academic work on disability has focused heavily on like physical disability um, to the extent that academic work on disability even exists. Um, and I, you know, I want to change that, but also like um, as conversations about mental health and, and, and um, neurodivergence and, and whatnot become more and more common. Um, I think that uh more and more work in this in this field is going to be required and, and you know I want to do it um sort of like try to change in whatever way I can the environment for you know not just for students in, in higher education or not just students in general mm-hmm. but um for as much as I can uh in my own way um because I feel like you know disabled students have a lot to offer to the world and we shouldn't be held back mm-hmm. by you know random arbitrary bullshit like this well i'm just say bullshit in my podcast this isn't radio right um yeah i think that you're good especially i think the um circumstances definitely warrant a little bit of uh, a little bit of cussing so yeah yeah so to kind of like wrap up the interview i was kind of curious if you can imagine yourself in 30 years you know looking back on your thesis what do you think would kind of go through your mind as you're reading through as you're reading through it or what do you hope will go through your mind as you're reading through it uh i mean i hope i've i will have built on 
that foundation a lot more in in 30 years you know assuming my life goes the way that i've i've planned it that i've you know i've taken those core questions that i asked and subjected them to a lot of different experimental methods and coming at them from different angles um i i mean i think one of the one of the issues is like being trying being trying to be both an advocate and you know someone who's really interested in research is that your ultimate goal is that your job is no longer necessary because the bias that you're studying no longer exists which is a pipe dream but you know a guy can hope and yeah. um, you know i i definitely think that um i i think i was like scared of the thesis process for a long time but like this was a, this was a it really was a passion project even amidst all the the difficulties of the, of the pandemic and whatnot um and mm-hmm. I, I think it will be you know not really useful going forward and and um will continue to you know, serve me and, and, and impact me in the years to come. Yeah. And for now it's, it's finished and it's done (laughs) and you have it finished, (laughs) but yeah, it definitely, it sounds to me like, um, this whole, this whole year of thesis was kind of you figuring out the problem on a little bit of a deeper level, gathering some evidence. And then maybe the next chapter is figuring out how to yeah fix the problem as best you can as you know one little human being in the the sea of everything mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i'm excited to i'm excited i think i would like to hear what you think looking back on your thesis in 30 years cuz um i'm thinking that it'll be i think i'm thinking that there'll be hopefully some some uh, some different perspectives on hopefully. yeah yeah Thank you, Mada, for being a voice for disabled members of our community and sharing your research with us. And thank you as well to all of our listeners who took the time to tune into this episode. I hope you'll join us again to hear from more alumni and students about what it means to burn your draft. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. The views, information, or opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Reed College. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast start by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.